The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter number 8. Romans, chapter number 8. We'll be parked in Romans all morning together. Romans, chapter 8. I'd like to cover verses 12 to 17. And just by way of reminder, as we come into today's sermon, a reminder of where we've come from. As a believer, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The truth that the Apostle Paul will point to many times in Romans chapter 8. In fact, we've only seen the Holy Spirit once in the first seven chapters. And now in this chapter alone, we'll have the Holy Spirit mentioned 19 times. He's really hammering home the fact that the Holy Spirit will be that agent of change in your life. So as we see in chapter 8, the truth that there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Yes. That truth is cemented by the fact that I am walking after the Spirit and not after the flesh. So important. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the ability to overcome the flesh. As we saw last week, you try your best to take the air out of the cup, but it won't work. You have to replace it with the Holy Spirit. You have to stop doing the deeds of the flesh by following after the Spirit. If I can draw your attention to verses 1 and 2 again. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What is it that frees me? He calls it a law. Please don't think Old Testament Ten Commandments law for these two uses of law. The word law there, he just means there's no way out of this. So what is it that gives me freedom? See it again in verse 2. The law of the Spirit of life, Christ Jesus, is the one that makes me free from the law of sin and death. How do I get out from underneath sin and death? That's through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit who indwells me. I'm only going to find help through the Holy Spirit. And by Christ Jesus, I am no longer a slave to sin. Our freedom comes because the Holy Spirit indwells us. You will only overcome flesh through the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross for a reason. Please don't think, I got saved and now I'm good to go for the rest of ever. I get a free ticket into heaven because of His work on the cross. Free ticket out of hell. It's not how He works. See it in verses 3 and 4. What the law could not do. What could the law not do? Live right. What the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, let's be honest, our flesh is weak. 
Oh Lord, help me. My flesh is weak. I want to stop sinning. And that the law made it very clear this is what I'm supposed to be doing, but my flesh is weak. I cannot do it. So then what did God do on our behalf? God sending His own Son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned our sin in His flesh. That, verse 4, that. So there's a reason that Jesus went to the cross, and that reason is in verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. There's a reason you got saved. There's a reason that Jesus went to the cross. It's not just to get you out of hell and into heaven. It's so that you will live right. And the power for that comes from the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. Amen. God sent Jesus, verse 3, to the cross. That's my justification. So that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in me. That's my sanctification. My life will be different because I'm a believer. And that's going to happen as he finishes out verse 4. For those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So if you want to examine your life and think about it deeply, is the righteousness of the law being exhibited in your life? You say, but pastor, how do we know? How do I know if the righteousness of the law is being fulfilled in my life? You might remember from last week, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, the righteousness of the law can be summed up in one word. L-O-V-E. Love. Am I showing love towards others in my life, or am I showing love towards myself? Because my old sin nature wants to show love towards myself. But a changed, transformed by the gospel life will show forth love towards others. So maybe pause and think for just a minute. When something happens, how do you react? I'll take for example... As I wrote this sermon on Thursday morning, a tragedy happened in our city. While I was writing this sermon, a bus crashed at Barihagua. You saw it on the news. Perhaps you saw it on WhatsApp, Facebook. A tragic bus accident in which students were injured and the driver was killed. And there were many different reactions to that. Very different reactions. And I watched as those reactions came out, being a part of the pastoral staff and knowing that we have a fleet of vehicles that are moving around in the city, and how will that accident impact the movement of our vehicles? You and I already know North Waigani is a mess. No vehicles are going down that road. So all, all of our alternative for traffic is going to be coming down this side, and I knew right away there's going to be an issue there. And perhaps you saw the different kinds of reactions. Maybe you saw the video. I saw the video. Within an hour of the accident, the video comes across my phone, and maybe you saw the same thing that I saw. How do people react in the middle of a tragedy? There's the bus. Rolls over the hillside. And as people are coming to help others who are hurt, help them out of the bus, I'm watching in the video as opportunists are working their way into the bus to try to check and see what those kids have in their backpacks. That's not love. 
And I watched as the announcement comes across Facebook. Avoid Badi Hagua. Traffic is very bad. There has been a bus accident. No more details than that. And watch the string of comments that fly out of it. And here are the things that were said. On money face lines, I go look him bus fare, nothing, nothing. I almost look out him or picking any blue you me. Pipe him this driver. And they didn't even know the driver's already laying there dead. That's not love. There were a few in the video that I watched, a few that went and helped to pull some of those children out. That's love. Help in the time of need. And they will probably be embarrassed that I said anything about this, but I think that it's important for some of our Bible school students to understand that this is what happened when you weren't looking and nobody else was looking. There was a couple that took it upon themselves. Papa John and Mama Lena, they went and sat through the traffic so that they could get to the hospital because they knew 17 children. Immediately, we knew. We had the list of names of who the children were and what grades they were in. 17 children taken to the hospital. And Papa John and Mama Lena did not ask the church, can you help us with our petrol? They did not put their picture on Facebook and said, see, look what we're doing. Out of an outpour of love, they made their way to the hospital so that they could sit with people who were going through one of the darkest hours of their lives. That's love. So if I can ask you, in the middle of a tragedy, what do you do? What do you do? Examine ourselves, brothers and sisters. Do we race to post, share, comment, condemn? Do we look for ways to help, love, lift up others who are in the midst of a tragedy? And that's what, by the way, that's what Jesus went to the cross for, so that that would come out in our lives. These are the things that we're supposed to do. You remember what Jesus said? He gave the story about the Good Samaritan. He said, love your neighbor. And some stupid Pharisee arrogantly asked, who's my neighbor? That's a stupid question. So Jesus goes, let me show you who your neighbor is. And then he tells a story about a guy that went on a journey and got beat up by some rascals and left on the side of the road. Remember the story? And along comes a priest. We might as well just go, okay, modern day, pastor. And he walks along and he goes, oh, must have been a family problem. You know why he put me across the road and left him there. And then along comes a Pharisee. And you remember what the Pharisee said? Shh, my clothes are too clean. I don't want to get my clothes dirty with that guy's blood. Crossed the road and left him there. And then along comes the Samaritan. And it, listen to me, brothers and sisters. If anybody had a right to leave that guy, the Samaritan had a right. You know why? The Samaritan is a mixed race. And people have been mocking him all his life. I can't help but wonder if within the story, if maybe the guy that's laying on the side of the road was from the clan that had been mocking the Samaritan. And you know what the Samaritan does? He comes along and he goes, I'm going to take this guy, and it doesn't matter if I get blood on myself and on my clothes, I'm going to help him wash his sores, I'm going to 
get off of my own donkey and let him ride the donkey for the rest of the journey in, and then I'm going to pay for him to stay in a hotel. While he recovers out of my own pockets, I will help take care of this guy. I don't know him. He's not my tambu. But I'm going to care for other people. That's the answer to who is my neighbor. It's the person that God puts in your path. And so what are we called to do? Twofold. Love thy, the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, and thy mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. Please don't dumb this down and just say, well, Christianity is just loving other people. No, Christianity is loving Jesus so much that it changes the way you look at the world. And then the outward manifestation of that, the fruit of the Spirit is love and other things. Those things will come as a result of me walking after the Spirit. And that love. So if you want to examine yourself and see, am I fulfilling what Jesus died on the cross for me? Is that righteous fulfillment, righteousness of the law being fulfilled in your life? So when a tragedy hits, how do you react? That's love. Should be. Jesus went to the cross for that reason. So here we come into chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. He's going to make a statement here as he talks about we are no longer serving the flesh. We can walk after the Spirit. We saw it said that way last week. Walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Today he's going to make the very same point, but he's going to make it in a different way. See verse 12 with me. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. So he makes this statement here. We are debtors not to the flesh. And I'll unpack this later as we go, but I'll just go ahead and let you see if you want to write outlines. I'll go ahead and give you the outline for today. We are debtors, as he says here in verse 12, we are debtors, A, not to the flesh. And then B, he doesn't say it here, but I'll explain it later. But we are debtors to, letter B or number two, we are debtors to the Spirit. See that as we go. The first one, we'll start with the first one. We are not debtors to the flesh. We'll see it in verses 12 and 13. Let me unpack it for you. Verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. We are not debtors to the flesh. That word debtor means that we owe someone. If you have a denial with someone, you owe them. This is not the point of the sermon, but just remember the book of Proverbs says, the borrower is servant to the lender. So within that in mind, if I owe the flesh, then the flesh owns me. If I owe the flesh, the flesh owns me. So another way to say this is if I'm a debtor, I owe something to the flesh, and the flesh owns me. But we know already from Romans chapter 6 that we are dead to sin. We're alive unto God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the flesh does not own me. And I want you to grasp this and think deeply about this. You do not owe the flesh anything. Let that sink in, brothers and sisters. You don't owe the flesh anything. Hear it. Affirm it. 
Embrace it. Believe it. Live it. You don't owe the flesh anything. If you're a believer, the Lord Jesus Christ has bought you with His own blood, precious price that He has paid. He owns you. The flesh doesn't own you anymore. So when sin comes along and raises its pleasurable in a season head, ugly at its core, when it raises its head, you don't owe the flesh anything. And this is very important. Look back up at verse 3 again. We've read it already, but see it again. Verse 3. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. My flesh is weak, but my spirit is willing, Lord. My flesh is weak. I can't, in myself, I can't live holy. I can't love my neighbor as myself. I can't love you above all else. And that's why Jesus came. Because I can't do it. Apart from Jesus Christ going to the cross, without Jesus going to the cross, I owe the flesh everything, and the flesh owns me. There's no way out of that. But the glorious thought is that God sent Jesus, and He took my sin, and my flesh no longer rules me. It's not my King anymore. Jesus is. For the Holy Spirit now dwells within me, and I'm freed from the flesh. Now look again at verse 13 now. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Somehow, so many Christians think that there is no way to defeat the flesh. Remember, you don't owe the flesh anything. But so many Christians live as though they owe the flesh everything. They might think, maybe this is you, maybe you think that you are stuck as an angry person. Maybe you think you're stuck there. And maybe you think that that defines who you are. Maybe you've even said things to your family and friends. Me this like I'm mine. I'm just an angry person. You have to learn how to deal with it. No, you are allowing sin to rule your life. Jesus paid a very expensive price to get rid of that sin from your life. But somehow, some Christians just think that's the way they are because they don't realize that they've been set free from that prison of sin. Or maybe you think that you're always going to be a thief. Maybe you don't want anybody to know it, but deep down inside yourself, you think this is just the way I am and I can't help it. My fingers are just too long. I can't control myself. And you're just letting sin rule over you. Maybe you think that you're just a sex-crazed addict and you try to hide it and you don't want anybody to know about it. You have given over to it. You don't think there's any way out. Maybe you think that's your identity. Or maybe your sin looks different. Maybe you think that you'll always be a workaholic. Your wife and children have asked you, please, would you put us as a priority? But the problem is, every time you walk away from work, the only thing you can think about is work. 
That's a sin, too. It should not define you. Maybe you think that there's no way out of gluttony and you're ashamed of it. Or maybe you think that laziness is just your way. Laziness, it's a sin, too. And while the rest of the family works, you have no problem sitting there and watching TV and telling them to bring you a drink of water. Maybe you think you can't stop gossiping and you just tell yourself it's you're letting other people know what they need to pray about. And it's sin too. Friend, you are in a prison that's made with paper walls. If you only realize that Jesus went to the cross and paid for your sin so that you could live righteously, He gave you the Holy Spirit to be in your heart to help you and overcome that sin. Oh, you could break free from that prison of paper walls. There's a way out. You're not damned and doomed. If you're a believer, your life should be different. But verse 13 again, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. And please don't think that that's, I get to the end of my life and I die at the end of my life. Oh no. Because whether you live after the flesh or you live after the Spirit, everybody dies at the end of their life. He wouldn't say that here. God never wastes His words. So there's a point He's making here, and I want you to hear the point. It's very important. Look at verse 13. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. You know what live is? Everlasting life with God forever. So if that's live, guess what die is? Eternal separation from God forever in hell. I want you to just stop and think. Think deeply, friend. Do you just let yourself live in sin? It just controls you and you think that it identifies you. You say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian because I prayed a prayer once. And you just lit, let yourself live in sin? Did you hear the words that He said? If you live after the flesh, you shall die. Hell. Forever. This is very important, friend. Very important. Please, don't live the rest of your life thinking, I raised my hand, or I prayed a prayer, or I walked an aisle, or I talked with a pastor. Please don't think that. Because if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, troubles your soul about your sin, and you will be different. I hope that right now some of you are thinking, saying, Pastor, but what about the eternal security of a believer? If you've studied your Bible and you know some doctrine, you would understand the eternal security of the believer. And it's found in chapter 8 and verse 30. Very same chapter. So slide with your eyes, look down to chapter 8 and verse 30, and you'll see it. He won't let you go. Look at chapter 8 and verse 30. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. Whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. So if you've been saved, God called you, you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's coming a day when He will glorify you. He does not lose any of His own. 
And so there is, I think the best word for this is there is some tension, if you will think with me, there is some tension between 8.30 and 8.13. 8.30, I trust Jesus. He justified me. He made me right. And He will glorify me. In the middle, there will be a sanctification. And in verse 13, if I just keep giving myself over to sin, I'm headed to hell. That's the tension. And there is an easy solution. There's an easy solution for this. Hear me, brothers and sisters. Here's the solution. Do you just let yourself go over to sin? And I submit to you that the Holy Spirit does not dwell within your soul. You just do whatever sin you want to and it doesn't bother you. You don't come back in repentance to the Father. Oh, none of us is sinless. But if it doesn't trouble you at your core when you sin against a holy God, friend, you are not His child. I beg of you, please don't make an excuse out of I pray to prayer. Because there will be some, Jesus says, there will be some who will stand before, you, before Him at that last day. And He separates the one from the other, the wheat from the chaff. And some will say, but Lord... And He will say, I never knew you. I believe strongly that that will be those who came to church faithfully and could just live their life un obstructed by a Holy Spirit that did not dwell within them. Oh, do not let that be us. For if you live after the flesh, you will die. But, oh, there's a glorious thought in the latter part of verse 13. If you, through the Spirit, mortify the deeds of the flesh, you will live. You don't owe the flesh anything. That freedom from the flesh comes from the Spirit. Hope you see the words there. At the end of verse 13, if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, you know what we're doing? We're putting to death, that's the word mortify, put to death the deeds of the flesh. That happens through the Spirit. I've got the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. It's changing who I am. And I'm going to be putting down. And sometimes, like we said last week, sometimes that will happen naturally as a flow because I've been communing with the Lord on a regular basis. And sometimes sin will come and raise its oh-so-pleasurable-in-a-season type of head. And you will have to consciously say, no, I'm dead to you. And yet, just like that, you would be, so to speak, pull out the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and slay that sin. Mortify it. Put it to death. Don't give yourself over to it. Because you don't have to. You don't owe the flesh anything. We're debtors, but not to the flesh. We'll come to the second half of his statement. This is in verses 14 to 17. Let me read verse 14 to 17. Because I've got to admit, we are debtors to the Spirit doesn't show up here. And I had to think deeply, meditate deeply on this in order to come to this conclusion. So let me read verses 14 to 17. 
Perhaps you can see it with me. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. What a beautiful promise. Verse 13 just gave us some hope. I know I'm supposed to be reading 15. Hang on. Verse 13 just gave us some hope that you can, through the Spirit, mortify the deeds of the flesh. That will happen through the Spirit. And then He just gave us some beautiful, glorious hope in verse 14 that if you are led by the Spirit, you're the sons of God. If you're not, we can do the opposite. If you're not led by the Spirit, you're not the sons of God. You're led by the flesh. And you will die. We'll keep reading. Verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit. We are the children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. So I ask you to wrestle with me. Okay. Points we've got, we are debtors not to the flesh, but we are debtors to the Spirit. So look again at verse number 12, and I'll admit that he does not say debtors to the Spirit. So look at verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. It would make sense for him to tell us who we are debtors to. Just for a little bit of background, this is only the second time in the book of Romans that he uses the word debtors. The first one was in Romans 1 and verse 14. He says, I'm debtor to the Greek and the barbarian to carry the gospel to them. So that's not what he's talking about here. Completely different context. So here he says, I'm debtor. We are debtors. And I want to ask him, debtors to whom? But he doesn't answer to whom. Instead, he tells us whom we are not debtors to. See it in 12. We are debtors not to the flesh. And then in verse 13, very strong warning, if you do allow yourself to be a debtor to the flesh, you will die. That's a terrifying thought. And so then I expect, perhaps in verse 14, that he'll come back to this thought, we are debtors, but he doesn't. He stays in the line of thinking, but he does not say we are debtors to God. And yet we are. Instead, he takes it beyond, we are debtors to the flesh. We're not debtors to the flesh. He takes it beyond, we're debtors to the Spirit. He goes, even better. So what would it be? Well, verse 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. So before, get this picture, before I was a slave to sin. I'm a debtor to sin in the flesh. And now I've been set free by the Lord Jesus Christ. And instead of being a slave to Jesus, which I am, instead I get a relationship of being a son. I don't think you got it. I used to be a slave to the flesh and I couldn't get out from underneath it. But God sent Jesus and redeemed me. And now instead of being a slave or a slave to that one, or a slave to this one. Instead, he brought me into a different relationship. Yeah, I'm a debtor. I owe him everything, but I'll never repay him. So he made me a son. This is a glorious thought. So here I've been brought into a relationship with him as my father. I don't know. Maybe your relationship with your father was not so good. I don't know what your relationship was like with your father. But can I tell you that there are some ways that a father is supposed to act? A father is supposed to 
protect. When I was a slave to the sin in the flesh, I never got protected. Dragged and beaten down. But oh, when I became a son of God, His protection was something else. We'll talk about this next week, and I'm going to unpack this next week, brothers and sisters. I hope that as we get into further into Romans 8, that it will make your mind shift about how you think about God. Oh, we think sometimes that because things are going wrong, I must be doing something wrong. And that's not what Romans 8 says. We'll see that next week and the following week. But He always protects perfectly. And that flows out of His very nature. His nature is He is sovereign. He's in control of all things. And as His children... He protects His own. He will not let us go. He will protect us. He is a loving and good Father. He never does us wrong. He will always protect us. And perhaps you might remember the verse. This is further down and you can see it in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. He protects and He makes sure that things work together for our good. And then we also know that a heavenly Father, a good Father, provides. He protects and He provides. A good Father will do that. I hope that you are good fathers. Those of you that are dads, I hope that you're a good father. Protecting and providing And our Heavenly Father provides for us. I remember in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, I think it was, he makes a statement about you worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink. He said, don't even worry about that. Even the sparrows, don't worry about that. And he made a statement about how the lilies grow in the field. He said the lilies, they grow in the field. And he goes, by comparison, you can compare the beauty of the flower against the beauty of King Solomon. He says that, that lily, it does not spin or toil. It does not sew up its clothes. The, the flowers that you see, we just look at them and give them a fleeting glance. And oh, if you were to take time and look at them, those flowers, they never go to TST or Tango, Papindos. They don't go to these places and buy the lap laps so that they can make their clothes. God just gives it to them. And in all of their beauty, all of King Solomon's beauty never came anywhere close to what he gave to the lilies. And then what he gives, gives to us in his provision for us. He says, he, he looks after the sparrows. As the sparrows take off, not a single sparrow takes off that he doesn't know about and orchestrates its flight and makes sure that when it lands, there's water there for it to drink and food for it to eat. And he says, he knows even the hairs on your head. Some of you have more than others. He knows all of those details. And it's not because he's trying to keep track of them. He knows exactly what you need. So if he knows the number of hairs on your head, he knows exactly what you need. And then he makes this statement. Here it is. This is Matthew 10 and verse 31. He said, fear not. He's providing for you as a good father. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. He's a good father. 
I hope you're grasping this. I used to be a slave. I'm not a slave anymore. I've been brought across and sure I'm a debtor, but I'll never pay him back. So he's just made me a son. Oh, this is a glorious relationship. He'll protect and he'll provide. And he also promises and he always keeps his promises. He doesn't hold back from us. John chapter 16, Jesus made this promise, verse 6, chapter 16 and verse 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Where are you going to find peace? Only in Him. In the world you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. How do you get better than that? He's a good heavenly Father. Relationship that we get to enter into is that of being sons because we're being led by the Spirit. You want to know whether you're a son of God? Check your heart. What's flowing out? Is there a natural inclination towards loving another? Then there's going to be evidence in your life. I see also in verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage, again, fear. You've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I've talked about that relationship of Abba, Father before. That relationship of, I'm just going to throw my hand out, Dad, and you're going to grab me. I don't have to be in distress. This is an ongoing, everyday type of relationship. I don't have to yell and scream and get your attention. I just walk along and there you are. This is the spirit of adoption. Now grasp this because He's bringing us from one kind of lifestyle into a different kind of lifestyle. So see it again in verse number 17. Oh, sorry, verse number 15. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. So I'm coming out of this type. Where I was a slave to the flesh. And He has not brought us out of that spirit of bondage into a different spirit of bondage. That's not how He did it. He brought us into this one, adoption. The spirit of adoption. Whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. If I can pause here and address the concept of adoption. The Romans had a spirit of adoption it's a little bit different than ours. Uh, let me, let me put, preface what I'm about to say with this. I love the fact that adoption is so much a part of the Papua New Guinean culture. Oh, if I were to look across our room, I think that we have a greater percentage of adopted children and even adults who used to be adopted children. I think there's a greater percentage in our Papua New Guinean church than you would have in most churches around the world. So let me commend this great spirit of adoption within our culture. Beautiful. And yet, there is a thing that I have seen and come across in counseling through the years is sometimes, not always, but sometimes the adopted child gets looked down upon. The adopted child sometimes feels that as they're the one that always has to wash the dishes and they're the one that always has to do the laundry and they're the one that always has to sweep the floor. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. 
That's not the spirit of adoption that he's using here. And may I just speak a moment of truth into this? Pastoral. If you grew up as an adopted child, please don't look back on it as a bad thing. Look back on it as a loving thing. Because somebody cared enough about you. Don't think somebody gave me up. No, think somebody loved me enough to bring me into their home and feed me and school me and raise me and make sure that I knew Jesus. That's the way you should think about it. So, I beg of you, brothers and sisters, don't treat an adopted child differently than you would your own. When that child is adopted, they are your own. And if you've gone through a rough experience having grown up, look back on the bright times. Be thankful for what God did give you as opposed to what could have been. I come back to this thought here of the spirit of adoption. So here I'm not brought from one type of bondage into another bondage where He treats me like a slave. Instead, He treats me like a son a full adopted son just like his very own. This is a glorious thing. The Romans had this in their culture. Now the Romans put it in law. Now this is an amazing thing that helped to help us frame this. The Romans had a law that if you adopted a son into your family, legally that son was adopted with all of the rights and privileges of all the biological children. Not, well, this one's my biological, that one's my biological, and that one's the adopted. This one I'll give great favor, this one I'll give great favor, and that one will be their slave forever. No, 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 no. There was a law. And they made the law that you have to, if you're going to go to the step of adopting, that child is now legally full child with all the rights and privileges that go along with the rest of the children. So when it comes time for inheritance... Papa gives down all of his things to the children. The biological and the adopted are all seen the same. Now can you bring that to our relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, who does all things very well? Everything that He does is good. And so there He is with His Son, and He says, you're adopted full rights and privileges. You're my son. Not my slave. You're my son. Now yes, we're debtors, brothers and sisters. We're debtors and we'll never repay Him. But He doesn't expect us to repay Him. He's brought us in to favor with Him. Now look again with me at verse number 16 now. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Your life is different. You're living different. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and your soul is now singing out to you, you're not a slave anymore. You're my son. Remember the Spirit of God? This is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. It's as if the Heavenly Father Himself, through His Spirit indwelling you, letting you know, hey, you're my son. And you should live different. It should impact you. And look at verse 17. If children, then heirs. H-E-I-R-S. 
inheritance. That's what it's talking about. If we're children, then we're heirs. And in case you forgot what kind of heirs, heirs of God. His inheritance is something else. And not just heirs of God, but joint heirs with Christ. So just as Christ is the Father's Son, you and I as believers are also the Father's sons. Joint heirs together with Christ. Do you know what joint heirs do? They look after each other's inheritance. Joint heirs do that. If you were not joint heirs, then one would say, But that's not how the relationship is with Christ. We are joint heirs. Everything that the Father has comes to all of us together. We all are joint heirs. Now, I'm going to give you a glimpse of next week because I want us to be very careful in thinking, oh, please don't let your mind run to streets of gold and mansions. That's icing on the cake. Streets of gold and mansions, that's icing on the cake. But streets of gold and and mansions does not help me today. It gives me something to hope for, but it doesn't make any difference when somebody cusses me out right now. He's going to give us a glimpse in this verse, in verse 17. Next week, we'll pick up this thought and we'll run with it. But he's going to tell us two of the things that we get to inherit with Christ. We'll see it in verse 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. Here's our inheritance for this life. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Giving us a glimpse here. There are two things that are going to happen. We'll talk about them next week. Suffering will happen in this life. It will happen. Glorification, it will happen in the next life. It will happen. That's going to happen because we are joint heirs together with Christ. We will explore that more next week. We're debtors. Not to the flesh. If you're a believer, fight the flesh. Fight it. Your eternal security depends on it. If you're not fighting the flesh, you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Those are sobering words, friend. Fight the flesh. Don't give in. We are debtors to the Spirit, but oh, thank God, we are so much more than debtors. We are sons. So can I invite you to bow your heads with me this morning for a moment of invitation? Sin no longer rules over you. You are dead. Sin. You do not owe the flesh anything. You're a child of God. You're led by the Spirit. Kill. Through the Spirit, kill deeds flesh. Father, I pray that in these moments that we would examine our hearts. God, I pray that we would, through the Spirit, fortify the deeds of the flesh, kill the deeds of the flesh. And Lord, there be some among us this morning 
who honestly examine their heart and realize I can sin. I can be a slave to the flesh all the rest of my life. I have no hope. God, I pray that You would prick their heart and use Your Holy Spirit to draw them to salvation today. Oh, for there is salvation at. Heads bowed and eyes closed, could I invite you to stand with me? Perhaps you thinking to yourself this morning, I've just not fought the flesh this week. I know that the Holy Spirit dwells within me, and yet I've not fought the flesh. Could I invite you to come to the altar, get things right with the Lord? The altar's open. Renew your resolve to walk in the Spirit. Could I invite you? The altar's open. You can come. Perhaps you're here today and know that you've just continually given yourself over to sin. There's not been any way to put a stop to that. It doesn't bother you. Maybe you just show up to church because you know that if you don't come, you'll have to find out. Maybe the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, this draw your heart to you. I ask you, maybe you need to put your trust in the Lord Jesus. Like that, maybe you raise your hand and look at me. Have somebody talk to you about what you're trusting. Get right with God. Somebody like that, you just raise your hand. Pastor, I'd like to talk to somebody like that. Where you're at, you hide so I can see you. Part of our life. Fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Excess of sin, just the power to us lives. Father, I pray that you help us to make this a reality of our lives. Live through the power that the Holy Spirit brings to us. No longer are we slaves to sin, but oh, thank you, our sons of that you would help us. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.